to wade in as we look back on the weekend that was how impressive was by Eve. Seriously impressive once again. All the main talking points as well. Looks like Michael Stout has a right one on his hands for the derby. And your listener questions answered all in the company of Mr. Kevin Blake. How are you, Kev? Hello, Hugo. Yes, I'm excellent form. Had a lovely day at Newbury yesterday. The sun was shining. My head got burned and a fabulous racing to enjoy. Yes, indeed. Loads to talk about. Tony Calvin, I put it to you, the greatest certainty of the sporting year took place last night, not even in the world of sport, <laughs> where Ukraine won the Eurovision Song Contest and could be available pre-first song at a price of three to one. How in the hell did I not lump my entire life savings of 24 euro on that Ukraine to win? Also, I won't be surprised to see, uh, to hear I didn't watch a single note. No, that's a surprise. <laughs> that, that I, Eurovision would have been right your cup of tea. TC. I didn't watch it either, by the way. I didn't watch I, I, either. I, to be fair, I was crashed out in bed by about half eight. So yeah, I, oh, I wouldn't fair. have watched the nonsense anyway. No. Uh, what did that three to one on? Yeah, there was uh, no, they weren't. There were three to one, like I know, a few weeks ago. All the lads were saying this is the greatest certainty ever, and and, <laughs> and nobody backed it. Vanessa, are you a Eurovision fan? UK just undone by those. Pesky Ukrainians, what? I'm afraid music really isn't my thing. I was at Doncaster last night and I there was a band playing that I've literally never heard of and there was such a huge crowd. To see you two or something, was it? You two well, or Def Leppard, no? <laughs> no. <laughs> no the, the, roll, the rolling rocks or I something have, like that. I have heard of some <laughs> bands, but uh, it was Shed 7, which I continued to call Shed 8 throughout the course of the evening. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, apparently like they've got a huge fan base, specifically in Doncaster. Right, okay. No rock and roll for Vanessa, I'll tell you what. Okay, lads, <laughs> let's move on. We've got loads to talk about. We've got loads of questions as well uh, from Tony Calvin's shout out last night to get through. But we have to start with Baid Kev. Um, very impressive once again. You know, I, I just, I don't know what you can say really. I mean, he went off at no working man's price whatsoever. Unbackable almost four to 11 or something like that. Uh, but he got it done and, and he's the best miler out there at the moment. Ah, he was brilliant too. Like uh, I, this, this really engaged me now because like this horse did, did incredible things last year, really in a, in a very short space of time going from like debut to, to, to champion miler in Europe in 17 weeks. Like it was incredible really. And given he rose so quickly, there would have to have been a hope that he'd be better again this season. And God, this was some start now. Um, he, he was really, really good. Like there was some potential trapdoors there in terms of the run of the race. Um, like, it, it, you know, but, but they, they probably haven't seen the sections yet, but they didn't look to go a hectic pace. And he still yeah. relaxed, traveled. And when Jim asked, he quickened and put, you know, a, a good field to bed in, in a proper style. Um, like he, he's he's a real one, and um, he is. It looks it looks like it's Queen Anne next, and then potentially Hugh, which we'll, I know we'll get into in a bit more depth. Um, going up in trip, which is always going to be uh, really really exciting. Will he? Okay, Tony Calvin. We'll talk about that in a second then. But uh, the Queen Anne next, of which he is absolutely no price. I think he's uh, two to one on now from four to five. I mean he's yeah. he, he, but he looks like a right proper solid one. This guy, like not just a flash in the pan, John. Uh, yeah, I'd, look, if he gets there in one piece, it'll probably be fives on. Um, yeah. I think it's four to nine is the biggest price in the marketplace now. I think it's 1.45 on the exchange. You've got to look at the rate, just looking at the Queen Anne. I mean, his biggest rival is probably Aldari, and Aldari is owned by Sheikh Hamdan and he's trained by William Haggis, so he might not even rock up there. I mean, he could be fives on on the day and he could be taken on a very, very small field, so. Um, you know, four to nines a month out your bag, then 
you know, you could be on a very, very good bet there, but or trading position. But yeah, I mean, like Kev said, I mean that that performance yesterday was pretty devastating. I mean, I think they rode the second to finish second, um, but you know, they had no pretensions to winning that race. It, what's fascinating is what they do going forward because you know, you know, I watched ITV racing yesterday, and I, you know, I gave it a big up on. Yeah, what's wrong with you? Did you forget to take the medication or something like that? Like I say, I was uh, was a prisoner in a hospital ward, so I had no option but to watch Blake and (laughs) Jason Weaver. Amazing when you're forced to watch something, you know, having a mind. The the, the most striking thing throughout the show is that midgets can't rock a hat. So Jason (laughs) Weaver needs to ditch that hat, does he? I mean, you know, small people just can't do hats. I mean, Tom Gosling can, but... We can't, so he needs to fix that. But that, that was the people, only people with no eyebrows also can't wear hats. I'm one of them. I look ridiculous in a hat. Anyway, go on. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a very good show. Very, like say, I, I like the fact they took a, a good day's racing seriously. It was compact. It was like informative. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I'm I'm always one to slag everybody off at every opportunity. But no, it was really good. Um, back to Bayeed. I just think it's fascinating what they do forward because will he yeah, stay? Will he stay a mile? He's twenty to one for the RTC. Will he stay yeah. a mile and a half? That's well, the question. Well, everyone knows that staying is relative, and he's probably the best horse out there by a country mile. So why wouldn't he? You just if you had it, if you put his pedigree in front of you, you'd say mile four all day long. You know, right. see, see the stars out of a mile two winner. Yeah, laden with stamina to, on the distaff side. Yeah. Um, full brother to Hookham, who stays a mile six, and obviously he's a very, very good mile four horse. If you just looked at his breeding, you'd say what he's doing at a mile is exceptional. So I think going up to the judgment is is a no-brainer. Sport's not about a procession. I mean, we've been there with Frankel. Yeah. Frankel was odds-on for every single start after its debut. So I think I'm not sure who's calling the shots at Shadwell now, but they've got a real they've got a real decision to make. And uh does twenty to one tenth? Does twenty to one tempt you for the arc? Because I'd be seriously tempted now. Well, Jesus Christ! Right. Like, what price would he be if they said we're going for the arc tomorrow? Threes. I, 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 I honestly do think it'd be about an even money shot because, like, he, he he's, he's streets apart from from what we've got there is. But it all depends whether you think he's a four to one shot, five to one shot. He could be a twenty to one shot to actually go there. But I, there's a funny story um, about when Frankel won the Judmont, um, and obviously you're not telling me Frankel probably wouldn't have stayed a mile four and beat Solomaya an all favour that year if he went there. But there was a press huddle. I was I was in um I was in Hammersmith watching the art market. There was a press huddle after Frankel won uh, the Judmont. And the art market suddenly going absolutely mad with people backing Frankel for the ARC. Um, and, and apparently Cecil might have just dropped into conversation that they were half thinking about going for the art. So it's obviously all the press guys got on the <laughs> on Betfair were back in the car, trading in the actual roads. Oh, but, you know, it'd, be, it'd be fascinating to see what they do there because, like I said, sports about finding out, finding out, you know, your, your limit, your limits and your limitations. And yeah, does anybody seriously think that a horse isn't good enough to win uh, a judgment on the bridle over a mile or two? And go to go and win the arc on on, on decent ground. It's it's a fascinating. Like I say, I'd, I'd like to know who's calling the shots. Yeah, and, and it's going to be great for the next few months, uh, Vanessa, that we have this kind of uh, conundrum to kind of ponder over here. But what's your own sense of this? Do you think that he would stay a mile and a half? And would you, if you owned him, would you be seriously looking at the arc now? 
Yeah, definitely. I think like the points Tony's made in terms of his breeding, everyone can read that for themselves. Um, and what he's doing over the mile now is pretty exceptional. If you were to only look at his pedigree page, obviously that would be taken into consideration how he runs and what he shows in his races. Um, it's a bit different, but I mean, it's just so exciting. And I think they are going to take a swing with obviously the Jubmon. And then I, I can see him lining up in the arc if everything went well. Um, I just I just think he's the most exciting horse at the moment in training because the way in which he put that field to bed, I mean, he's just so cool. I mean, he makes those guys look average and they're not average. They're above no. average. But the way he goes past them, I mean, literally across the line, like he just barely knew he'd been in a race, in my opinion. And um, yeah, I just think he's got this unlimited potential. I mean, it's that age old adage that we're all told, isn't it? That, you know, the really, really exceptional horses can do it over a variety of trips. Well, I think he's a really, really exceptional horse. So now I want to see him do, do it over a variety of trips. We've seen them over the mile now. We know what he can do. And uh, it just be so good for racing, for his ownership, for William Haggis. I mean, I love the post-race interview with Nick Luck afterwards with William Haggis. Obviously, A, the big takeaway there was the relief he felt. I mean, he's a man who wears pressure pretty heavily, I think. And uh, the relief he felt, obviously, was huge. He's going to have some pretty high-pressure days going forward now for the rest of the summer. But also, the other takeaways I took from that are you know, the real emphasis that they just have no idea how good he is. They obviously yeah. don't press the buttons at home. He's never been a trainer to do that. So everything these horses are doing on the track, he's just going and winning his races in that fashion, but they don't know how good he is. Um, and who knows if he could even improve over a further distance. And then the other big takeaway at the end of the interview was just like how wounded and rightly so that he was about the whole sea of class thing. I mean, even in the aftermath of He's still talking. He still manages to bring the conversation back to that filly due to the see the stars. I still connection. can't believe she didn't win. I still can't. And I just like <laughs> honestly the 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 hurt you see when he talks about it. It makes you realise that you know however big a yard is, however many horses come through their hands, those really special ones. It really does matter, and you can just see that you can still see and feel the pain that he feels about that filly. Yeah. Yeah. everything from being beat in the arc but also obviously her passing as well sure. anyway i just those are my takeaways from the post-race interview it's incredibly exciting what more is, is there to say really incredibly and well done to kevin because you know when you start a sentence with sure this is easy lads and then it goes and actually happens you have to say balls out of the bath for kevin real world yeah well done kevin. so well done kevin we, we tip our hat where it's due. The second, the second yeah. favourite finished second to the favourite. So well, 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 well. Don't claim any. Well, as the first take it, okay? I'll be taking take it, that. Take it and run for the hills, Kev. Honestly <laughs> to God. Right, it's a rare hat. Particularly in your case, it's a rare thing when you actually get something right. <laughs> um, what about Desert Crown then, Kev? Because, look, I, I, we should say again, just to, to emphasise, this was his second run on a track, okay? And we, we know the, the pre-Derby hype. We know the betting had contracted a little bit and people started maybe on whispers and rumours about what he'd been doing over the winter. But he went to on his second run after winning a maiden in Nottingham and he put them all to bed pretty nicely and he is now 2-1 to one from 9-1 to one for the Epsom Derby. Yeah, he was really good, wasn't he? Um, yeah. Like, look, we, we spoke about him. Like, you know, he's buying Nathaniel, um, you know, a horse that you would, you would expect to need a bit of time um, and look, there was plenty of chat about him prior to this uh, and look, he did everything right. You know, his, his inexperience didn't hold him back um, bar, you know, edging right Late on, that was the only sign of any, you know, inexperience in him. Um, and sure, look, the, the likes of the likes of me will always with, with a horse like this, you'll always say, well, look, hopefully the 
the derby doesn't come a few t- starts too soon for a bit. Hopefully, yeah. it's not too much too soon. Um, but look, as Vanessa kind of alluded to there, when you come across like a real one, like a really good one, the kind of the rules don't apply uh, as much as they do to like you know really good horses. But the real ones can overcome things, such as you know relative inexperience. Um, and look, he did look very good. Um, you know, he he's short enough for the derby now. Um, but I, I don't want to throw too many stones at him. You know, I really don't. Um, I was impressed with him. The time was strong. Um, like he's a beautiful moving horse. Um, would you, would you, Kev, you just just like something you said there? Sorry to interrupt you about his lack of experience in a derby. Is that a factor for you? Is that a negative? Is this significant negative? Do you think? Um, look, it's the derby. It's it's the trickiest yeah. track, you know, for any Group One anywhere. Um, so you, you you'd love your horse to have a bit more experience. But look, history shows that real good ones can overcome it. Um, and and it's, it's not an incredibly rare thing either. Like it does happen, you know, both in the Oaks and the and the Derby. Um, so I, I I'm always we, we always talk about it, but I I always have it in my mind to to not overplay it too much when you're dealing mm. with one that you don't you don't know where the ceiling is, and we definitely don't know where the ceiling with this fella is. So a bit um, like having a five year old say novice hurdler who was outstanding. You like would you run him against a champion hurdler? That kind egg. of debate. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you the rules don't apply to the real ones. The well, real ones Hugh, can overcome learning. these you're things. You're learning on the job, uh, Hugh. That, that, uh, honestly, Hugh, was, that, as I was saying that, literally in my head was going constitution. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you. How do I know that, Kev? We're synchronizing yeah, the, here. The, the rules just don't apply to real ones. And look, we don't know if this fella's a real one yet, but geez, he couldn't have done a whole lot more now in the Dante than he did. So the possibility is there. And I, I don't want to be downplaying him. I don't want to be, um, I'm not going to be going out of my way to talk him down or to, to a poem. I might end up going with something else, but I'm not going to talk him down. Do you like him, TC? You were, you were nodding your head there. Yeah, um, I think he's been a little underplayed how, how surprised connections were by the win. Now, mm. Everyone's everyone's just assumes, oh yeah, he was like getting his, you know, getting his defence in early if the horse got beaten. But I, you know, obviously I did a piece with Ryan on that, and Ryan's ridden the horse at home. Um, and he actually said in his betting dot betfair piece, he said, I oh, said, I've ridden this horse and he's a good colt, no make, make no mistake, but he will need it. I mean, he apparently he did have a little setback. He wasn't a hundred percent there. Um, so to do what he did. Uh, in the manner that he did. I mean, I don't think it was the strongest renewal, but it's all about the manner of the victory and the potential, isn't it? Hmm. So, yeah, I, I think to do what he did there, maybe, and the fact that he went there not fully tuned up gives you loads and loads of confidence going forward. Like, obviously, they think they've got a, a live one there, and to do what he did, uh, generally surprising them, um, it has got to all go very well. I a Two to one now, I'd, I'd wait because uh, I can't see his price contracting that uh, that much. No, because, surely it won't. But obviously, yeah. Stone Age could happen. Something could happen to Stone Age. Aiden yeah. could reduce his reduce his numbers going into it, but I doubt it. So I, I think now, I think you'd hold fire, um, uh, hold fire at two to one. But yeah, I mean, he's a, he's he's rightly there, bang there at the top of the market. He's got all the potential in the world. And, and, and the most important thing, uh, and one of the other aspects of the story is, and obviously. Stouts had a lot of personal uh, problems in the last, you know, two or three years, losing a long-term partner and maybe some health issues as well. So I think everyone, it's a real feel-good factor about not only the horse but obviously the the connections as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not quite. Sorry, Hugh, it's like it's not quite the Henry Cecil resurgence, but there is kind of a bit of a feel to that, you know. Mm. Um, like Michael Stout has never gone away. You know, he's had nice horses the whole way along, but just maybe not in the same quantity as 
as he did back in it back in his real prime. Um, and look, I would just I I say reading between the lines, given as TC says that the horse had a bit of a setback prior to the Dante, like the next couple of weeks are going to be really important for him. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think everyone will be keeping their ear to the ground anyway, given his profile now. But you just want Everton to go to plan. You want him to have come out of the race really well and yeah. um, and really thrive in, in his in his first works back, etc. So hopefully it all goes to plan and he'll get to Epsom in tip top shape, and we'll get to find out just how good he is. Yeah, we will. And um, the Oaks picture is interesting, Vanessa. It's changed a lot just for me personally over the last kind of few weeks in terms of how I was viewing this race. I originally thought um, I'd be firmly with above the curve based on what she did at Leopardstown, Joseph O'Brien's horse. Then you have the likes of uh, With the Moonlight, who was very good a couple of weeks ago, Tuesdays in there. But Emily Upjohn, I mean, Emily Upjohn, I think, took a lot of people's breath away at the weekend by what she did. Um, she's, I think she's 11 to 10, even money in places, which reflects, I guess, how, how strongly people view her performance at the weekend. How did you view it? Uh, yeah, it, it not for me at that price for the Oaks anyway. Mm. Um, look, like I guess she was impressive in the latter stages of the race, but she was a bit keen early. It's a small field. She didn't settle that well early in, sta- in the early stages. Um, and then I suppose the turn of kick she showed was pretty eye catching. Yeah. And yeah, the latter part of the race was much better than the, than the first half of the race in terms of if you're looking at it as a as a stepping stone towards Epson. But I'm not overly convinced, really, Oaks, for her, to be honest with you. There was something about the post-race interview with Gosden that I wasn't that taken with. Um, she's in respect, really... that, she, that she won't go? Like, that, 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 no, no, that, that she'll go, that she'll go. Yeah. But just the factors were brought in that she's a huge filly. I mean, in the following yeah. day's interviews, you know, they were saying she's nearly 17 hands. Nearly right. 17 hands. I mean, mm. she's just an That's, absolute giant. That is right? colossal. For, that, for I mean, that, that is like unheard of. That's like hunter size. And when you see the head on at York, you can actually see she's almost like double the size of the size of the filly that's upside her at one stage. So it was really hammered home how big she is. Uh, it was also hammered home that she was unsettled early, which we could all see, which obviously isn't ideal when she's if she's going to go to Epsom. And then it was also hammered home that they're going to take her to breakfast with the stars to give her a taste of the track, which is obviously an attractive option for her just to see if she can, you know, just so she gets a feel of the place. But there was just definitely a few question marks. I have a few reservations for her, e. Epsom. She, she may well be a very, very top class filly. In fact, I think she probably is. But I'm not sure about witnessing her at this stage in her about backing her, sorry, at that price at yeah. this stage in her career at such an unconventional track. And I mean, when you look at the price difference between her and Nashua, I just I can't get my head around this. I don't understand why there's such a price difference. Like Nashua's, I mean, look, don't get me wrong, I understand it wasn't as good a race at Newbury, it wasn't as good a trial. Um, but the price difference surely isn't right. I mean, yes, she'd need to take a step forward. Yes, she looks a speedy type, but she doesn't look to be a type that's stopping at the line. Um, she's bred to stay and she gives herself every chance of staying by being settled. They gave her such an educational run and then she was pulled out and she just kicked clear like, like she was in a, in a gallop, essentially. Of course, she's going to have to progress on from that, but she's taken mm-hmm. a step forward from Haydock. And I couldn't help but feel, maybe I'm wrong, but if Nashua was ridden by Frankie Dettori, and he rode a horse from last to first, never hit it with the whip, cruised past the field like that and kicked four lengths clear. She'd be a much shorter price than she currently is. I think the price difference between them is too much. I, 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 I take a different view to that. And I watched that race yesterday. And I'm a big fan of the horse. I was very impressed by Haydock. Perhaps he was just dossing in front. But I got the impression that 
a mile two is probably as far as she wants to go at the moment. But obviously she won very well. Like I said, she could have just been idling in front. But I wouldn't be massively surprised if they dropped her down to the coronation stakes over a mile, given the, the, the way that she travelled for her race. So Yeah, I mean, she... Some... she yeah, sorry. I, no, no, I can see what you mean. I mean, she's clearly got loads of speed, hasn't she? But I think she gives herself a good chance of being able to stay. Yeah. Um, she's obviously... I think she's quite tractable and... Uh, that's the only I think that that those connections will want to take a swing at a classic with her I, I don't know maybe I'm wrong yeah, you, you are right she shows a lot more pace she looking, shows a lot looking more at pace. that the, the closing stages of that race and I don't think it was a great race either but like I said I'm I'm a massive fan of the filly but my my initial impression was mile two is probably as far as she wants to go but as you said about the owners and different owners different sets of connections, uh, they may well go to Epsom. But yeah, I'd be I'd be slightly worried about the stamina angle. Okay, okay. I still think above the curve is overpriced. But anyway, that's just me. Right, in terms of two-year-old performance we've seen so far this season, I know um, TC isn't mad about the old two-year-old division, uh, Kevin Blake, but I am. I absolutely love watching them. Um, and I guess the chopping and changing over the course of the next few weeks and months as well. Um, even just in relation to the commentary picture now, Persian Force, after winning at the weekend, is now 7-2. to two. Um, Dark 30 introduced to the market at 33 to 1. We obviously have some other two year olds of note that we've seen over the past a few weeks. But um, Persian Force, um, what should you make of it? Strong for you? Yeah, definitely. People go, ah, three runners, you know, blah, blah. But like, to be honest, like I had those two Persian Force and, and Hogwin, like they're right up the top end of my two year olds, um, like, like the, the numbers I put on them. So like to me, this was this was a massive clash, you know, albeit in a in a tree runner conditions race in Newbury and uh, and Persian Force put him put him away really well. Um, like some big talk from from the, the Hannon team afterwards, you know, saying that he's he's the but he thinks is the best two year old they've had for quite some time. Um, yeah, he said and, that. Yeah, and I and I, I go along with it now. You know, I, I think this this is a proper one. Um, bred by the lace, he's there and awfully. Um, he, he's, he's going to be a right one I'd say and uh, if anything can beat him at Royal Ascot they're going to have to be a, a very good one and he, and he might just go into Ascot you know w- without as much of a kind of shine on him as some of the you know some of the Ballydoyle ones will or what have you you know because he's won the Brockensby and because he's won a, a three runner conditions yeah. race at Newbury but um, I wouldn't be downplaying this fella in any way shape or form I'd say he's a, he's a real proper two year old he's, he's definitely got the profile hasn't he of one of those horses that people think other two-year-olds will progress past him, come Royal Ascot, but actually he might just be a very, very, very good and precocious horse. I think so often when a horse wins so early, like he does, says show much, shows so much early on in the spring, people just presume that a Bally Doyle horse or something swankier might progress past him. But actually, I think he'll go to Royal Ascot, like Kev has said, I'd be a big fan of him. I think he'll go there. Yeah, he's, he's so professional, he's so precocious, but he's actually really, really bloody good as well. I, so, I thought, so, what do you think? Did you see Dark 30 on, on was it on Friday he ran, Kev? Uh, Aidan O'Brien's, uh, is it Aidan O'Brien's two year old? Was it Friday Leprosy? Alfred Mullings. Alfred Mullings, yeah. Alfred Mullings, sorry, Alfred Mullings. Yeah. Alfred Mullings, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you think of him? Yeah, different type of horse, very impressive, very likable. I, I thought lovely, he was very good. Yeah, yeah, lovely way of going, lovely mover. Um, like not much form on the page on on, on the book here, but he, he was deadly. He qualified. He's by Dubawi, you know, like middle of May. Like this is yeah. very early for Dubawi to be out. Um, he's he's a half to snowfall. Like he, he qualifies. He wouldn't have qualified for the Chesham in the old days because because Dubawi um never fulfilled the, the the qualification criteria. But now they allowed them in based on what the dam has done. 
and um, and is down one over a mile and a half, so he's qualified for the Cheshireman. Yeah, he's gonna. You'd be surprised if he's not fat for that, and, um, yeah. and, and takes a lot of beating because he, yeah. he he did look very nice. And yeah. um, now, and I'm open to correction now, but Aiden has introduced some very nice ones in this race over the years. That I I, I liked him. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's it's entirely up your street. I imagine. Well, obviously, you don't know at this stage. But well, maybe a silly thing to say, but you can easily see him going off the shortest price. Juvenile at the uh, at Royal Ascot, and easy see him odds on. He looked an absolute monster, didn't he? And he goes straight to the Chesham, apparently. And as a side note, he was he was he makes his debut this week at the same time that the Munnings exhibition is launched in Newmarket, which I'm going to go uh, showing showing show a touch of class there, Vanessa. Touch of class. <laughs> speaking of speaking of speaking of touch of class, the old bumper hero Stradivarius Vanessa. Um, I'm a huge fan of his. I absolutely love him as a horse. <laughs> What did you make of his win? Oh, look, like, I love that. I don't know, maybe call me soft or something. I don't know, but I I just, yeah, (laughs) I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Look, like, how can he not be there for it, really? Like, 20 wins. His record speaks for itself. Yeah, we all know he's not as good as he once was. We all know that he's not unbeatable anymore over these staying trips. And we all know that he could be vulnerable at Royal Ascot. But it means that when he does come out and win like that and to do what he did there at a track that he loves so much, I don't know. I, I just thought it was brilliant. I thought that he'd have to put in a serious performance to win at York on seasonal debut at the age of eight. And yet there he does. In he goes. And I, I, I don't know. I, I loved it. I loved it. Sorry, but I did. And look, do I think that he's going to win the Ascot Gold Cup? Maybe not. But everything's a bonus with him at this stage. And it's a credit to the team at home. They've obviously done a huge... I think I got the impression they've done quite a bit different with him. Um, now coming into his real latter years to try. I was to listening to that interview afterwards. Yeah, and they they basically said that look, they just let him do what he wants, basically, and he'll pretty much tell them if he wants to run out, if he doesn't want to run out, because like at this age, they're yeah. they're, they're afraid that he's just like he'll just decide. You know what? I've had enough of this. I'm not going over there. So if you want me to go over there, I'm not going to bother running. So that, I mean, he's just such a he's clearly such a character. Do you remember he got culty at one stage in his career? Then they managed to sort of like reel that in a little bit, and you can tell by the way they talk clearly at home. That he just is a real character and it's the it's the thing isn't it it's like because he's been around for so long we've learned to love him over the years and um i don't know you can't take very much away from him at this stage can you like no. i won't be backing him for the gold cup at ascot but in, in terms of the york performance i i yeah. you know i applaud him apparently he was on five legs in the pre-parade wasn't he at york oh was he he's still full of it yeah, interesting. I think they have to keep a lid on that. He nearly didn't. He sort of where he's gone to that area, that place a few times at Ascot before as well, with all the fillies around. And yeah, how do you keep a lid on that? Though? Do you just send a few send a few mares into his barn there and you know lock the door and leave him there for a couple of days, tie himself out? Like I think it's okay. Like people people get very um, kind of worried when they see it. Like, but. It's not, anyway. it's, it's, it's not an uncommon thing like you know in these situations well, look at, look at me as... Kev with that that story I told you about <laughs> right. the, the balding horse the balding yeah. horse at, uh, at Royal As- uh, at Ascot the two year old that I put everyone off because he got overexcited he got cold yeah yeah, yeah, like, like, like it, it's a case of it's it's one of those things. If, like, if you're in a position where you can watch them, like if they if they're kind of relaxed with it, you know, it's, doing it, I think, isn't a negative in itself. It's if they're if they're getting what really wound up as well as drawing, 
you know, I think then you might be in trouble. But the likes of him, he, he just kind of gets it out and swings it around. And, and you know, he's, he's, he's still happy and relaxed in himself, you know. So that's the, it's not costing himself anything by doing that, I don't think. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, a couple more to talk about then. Um, <clears throat> Tiber Flow, 20s from 33 to 1 for the Commonwealth Cup. We mentioned him in Racing Only Better on Friday, um, TC. And, um, yeah, he won, he won, won reasonably well. I mean, I don't know what you take from that, really, if you're interested. In, I, I, I take him. from that that Jim Crowley gave the second an absolute god. <laughs> How did we know you were going to say that, TC? Because <laughs> <laughs> we discussed it before the show and I was moaning about it then. That's probably yeah, it. Yeah. I, I, thought he gave, I thought he gave him a beautiful ride, TC, uh, as yeah, well, my selection yeah, timer flow yeah, just yeah, said yeah. that. <laughs> you, obviously didn't, you obviously didn't back him at 11 to 2, four places. Oh, no, he, he gave it a shocking ride, but obviously nobody could have a go at him because they had to interview Boye, uh, him after Baye two hours later. But oh, a shocking ride. Um, Ira's got loads to find on the Commonwealth Cup um, for the Commonwealth Cup, but I think he's 25s in places and obviously he's a course winner. Um, I've seen worse bets than 25. Tiber Flow, um, Tiber Flow, yeah, Tiber Flow. Tiber Flow, yeah. I think Haggis was was oscillating between the jersey and the uh, Commonwealth Cup, wasn't he? I think he'd come down on the Commonwealth Cup. But yeah, I mean, they've, they've clearly both got a, a long way to go to beat the market leaders in that. But Iraz at 25s after that shocker. Uh, yeah, probably uh, that's where he's going to go. Okay, yeah, I, I, would, I would knock him as much. I can see why they did what they did. Because that, like all the chat was, he was working like a rocket ship before his comeback run at Ascot. He travelled up there like he was going to win, as we talked about on Friday, and then just didn't find. And I, I think that like really confused them and worried them. So I suspect they just they just said to Jim, look, go out and just ride him stone cold and finish the race off well. And, and he did that. And he was just unfortunate to bump into what I think is, is a real good horse in Tiber Flow. Um, like, look, first run on turf. Um, the trip was a bit of a concern that it might be a shade sharp, but I was delighted with the way he travelled through the race. Um, I, I don't think six is going to be an issue for him, and, he, and he'll probably get sharper as, right, as he get as he um, gains an experience. So um, it'll be a decision for them whether to go Commonwealth or Jersey. If he was mine, I, I think I'd go Commonwealth. I think you swing big. I think this is a right good horse, and they'll go faster in front of him at Ascot. It's a stiffer six furlongs. Um, I think he'll be perfectly fine. And um, I, I wouldn't like to be, you know, I think that the, the market wasn't really giving him a whole lot of respect there um, after this for the Commonwealth Cup. He was certainly well into double figures, I believe, wasn't he? Probably yeah. still is. Um, like, I thought that was that was pretty 20, fair. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the winner just doesn't beat the second next time if they meet again. Just oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I back him to uphold the form. Um, like, I, I thought Tom Marcan was in a, the complete opposite situation to Jim Crowley and that it was probably in his head right, this is sharp enough for this horse, let's put him into the race if we can. And he probably was surprised how well Tiber Flow carried him into the race. And he made a lot of headway while Jim Crowley was sitting. You know, and I, I, I think, like, I know sometimes when they fly home, it looks like that they surely had loads more to give. But, um, yeah, I, I, not sure. I'm not having this. I, I, I back Tiber Flow to hold that form. We'll have a match, we'll have a match bet if they, if they rematch. I'm, it, I'm with you, TC. I'm with you, TC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, lads. And um, finally, the, the Pill Talker Highfield Princess. We want to mention either, either of you, any of you kind of caught by them, their performance of the weekend before we go on to our listener questions and other topics to talk about. Yeah, Pillow, um, pillow Talk's a good film. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd say okay. Pillow Talk's a good film. Yeah. Carol Burke. Well backed, wasn't she, TC? Was she well backed? Pillow, pillow Talk was opened up 12s. I think it was by the time all the columns went live, about six. She was about six to one. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very well backed. 
Yeah, okay. it's yeah, interesting. Carol Burke has a has a lot of riches there. Uh, <laughs> Had he is as well, didn't he? So he yeah, he's, like short of Price second, and that Philly just interesting in the sense that they don't really miss them at Carl Burks on debut if they're ready to go on debut. And I think she was she was eighteen to one or something. I think she was a big price on debut, and she was just touched off. Yeah. And then it's interesting they upped her into listed company, and um, and back like she was backed as well. Um, I think she I think people think that they finished the wrong one too in terms of if you just look purely at the betting, but I'd say the winner is a, is a very good filly, I think. Yeah. I mean, she's an out and out speedy two-year-old, you know, like she's a typical, but I think, I think she, I think she goes to Ascot with a really big chance, but he's got, they that ownership group and Carl Burke himself is going to have to move the chess pieces around because they've got plenty that fall into similar categories. Is that clear? Yeah. 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 And, and they are. They also. I think um, Steve Parkin kind of heads up the syndicate there that owns Catty Come Home. Um, she yeah. won at Musselburgh earlier in the week. Um, Clipper Brett, Brett her as well. Uh, I'd say don't forget about her. Now it was it was Musselburgh. Maybe not, not the sexiest venue to debut a real good one, but um, I'd say she could be a proper one as well. Excellent. Okay, that's that's uh, pretty much the weekend review done. And uh, we have a question in which kind of leads on to our next topic here from David Brown. Um, who answered TC last night, who says, is the sign of low attendances a big worry going forward? This is at race courses. Do you think it's just a case of the cost of living, et cetera? Or do you feel a day at the races now is just too expensive at the cost of a drink, uh, entry, et cetera? I feel that things need to be tried at race courses to stop taking uh, the piss. Are we at a stage where this is actually becoming... And maybe, Vanessa, I just want to start with you, if I can, um, just anecdotally, um, because you go to an awful lot of race courses in the course of your um, duties for work as well. Do you do you notably see um, a fall off in attendances over the, the last few months? Uh, I can't say that I've felt that, to be honest with you. I mean, I was at Doncaster last night, and yes, there was a concert on after racing. But... Sorry, the dogs. There, <laughs> there. Um, go, yes, there's go. A... Guys. Yes, there's a concert on after racing. Dogs in Shed 8. <laughs> shed 8, yeah, Shed 8 was up. Um, but no, so, it, you know, it was very interesting. I think there was about 5,000 people there. I mean, these numbers are very rough, but I think they were thinking that they were going to get 5,000 people there on a Saturday night with a concert on after racing. I was there two weeks ago and there was no concert on and they had 2,000 people. So as rough numbers, they're expecting more than double because they put a music show on afterwards. Now, I don't know if that correlates to like new market nights and other places that do similar music concerts after racing. But I thought that was just interesting in terms of a vague look at the numbers. But in terms of a drop off, like, you're, I mean, I go I either go to the big high days and holidays, e.g. the Cheltenham's and the Royal Ascots, or I'm at Wolverhampton on a Wednesday. You're never going to get a crowd at Wolverhampton on a Wednesday, and you're always going to get a crowd at Cheltenham and Royal Ascot. So it feels like the problem is the mid, the mid dip, the middle area, uh, according to what people are saying anyway. E.g., a midweek York meeting, which obviously it was well noted across the week that they hadn't had the pre-sales that they would normally have, and Chester, I think, felt the same. So. In terms of how I noticed anything, no, but I think I'm probably not in a position to actually comment on that due to where I end up. But in terms of what race courses can do, like people just don't. I mean, what was that tweet, Tony, that was thrown in? Like people are not going to pay 100 quid for fish and chips and a fucking television to watch other racing on. Like uh, yeah. they, they, oh, they did. To be fair, they did chuck in the annual menu, annual menu, uh, annual badge. Uh, sorry, the badges to get in, but. When one of the selling points is you can watch racing on a TV, 
Jesus Christ. It's not enough. Oh, it's not enough. Like whatever. My, my, one of the best days racing I've ever had as a non-work event, right, was yeah. Deauville in August. That meeting, you know, they have the group ones every Sunday, but it was the day that they had the two group ones, so that mid-August mid meeting. Yeah. And when I reflect on why that was, I took somebody racing that day who's not doesn't work in racing, horsey person doesn't work in racing. And why it was such a good day is because – it, it cost 30 euros to get in. You could, there was so much space and you could get to bars and there was places to sit down. So it was comfortable. I don't think people get very much. I think a lot of the time at race courses, it's not an, it's not a comfortable day out. You're crammed in like cattle and there's nowhere to sit and you have to queue 20 minutes to get a drink. And if you're expecting people to pay 100 quid for that luxury, they're just not stupid enough to be doing that. Whereas this day out, it's like the comfort of it and the top class racing and the way the race course is there. I don't know. I just I came back from that day and I was like, we need to provide a more comfortable day out for race girls. That's, so that's a huge could- point. That's a huge point. I mean, like, because... You know, if you don't factor that in and things like queuing for drinks and queuing at the bar, I'm not having enough space or nowhere to sit down as well. It all takes away from the experience of actually going. And it's not just enough to say we're putting on races here. So everyone's coming to watch the racing and bet on horses. No. That's not enough. It's not enough. It sounds like you're a fan of lower attendances, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I just love a quiet day out. <laughs> what brought this into focus is the Chester crowds. Well, Chester is a social occasion rather than a racing occasion. Mm. The crowds there were down thirty five percent. Yeah, then you then you got to York um, this week. Obviously, the crowds are down. Bookmakers are saying it's actually dead as a dodo. They're only turning up to keep their staff there, so they're employed to go to Royal Ascot. I mean, this is massively worrying. I mean, I, I said yesterday, that it's a perfect storm for race courses at the moment. You've got cost of living. People, people are absolutely potless. I mean, I mean, I don't know what your fuel bills and the heating bills are. I mean, they've gone through the roof. Filling up your cars probably about 75% more than, than it was this time last year. Inflation's going to go. This is just going to go worse. People just haven't got the money. I mean, People, people, David Armstrong can say this and that, and whatever, but racing is a full day out, getting meeting, getting there, going there. You know, it's it's obviously the event is longer than going to a football match, etc. It's an expensive day out. I mean, and also you have people factor in, oh, I'm going to have a bet, so maybe I'm going to lose 50 to 100 pounds uh, there. I mean, it's racing is an expensive day out with the betting there as well. I mean, and I can't see a problem. I, I can't see a solution to this. I mean, I've spoken to quite a few people in the in the last week or so. And there really isn't a problem. Uh, there isn't a solution because the cost of living, I mean, people are just haven't got the, the money. And it's not just a racing thing, as William Darby, I saw him on an interview last week. It's the whole of retail. I mean, we're going to have to get used to the fact that, you know, racing is going to be in decline numbers-wise going. And I don't even think uh, free race course entrance uh, during, the, during the week is probably the answer because people have got to get there. Um, I like to say I'm. I, 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 I don't want to be too negative, but I, I can't see the whole situation in this country is going to get far, far worse. People just aren't going to have the money for leisure and recreational activities, and racing is going to suffer badly because, obviously, on top of that, you've got the you know the gambling element and the drinking element and the social element. Hmm. We're in a bad well, place. I, I think there's kind of chickens coming home to roost on this as well um, on a number of fronts. Um, because look, as the lads have mentioned, you know, going racing in 
Britain is really expensive, you know, compared to Ireland, compared to France, like really expensive. And that's one thing. But and, and it's not just the British thing, but I feel it's been my view for a year, many years that in racing, we, we kind of very much neglect our core audience which is generally an older audience, a, a committed fan. Like we don't look after them at all. And unfortunately, you know, when you get an economic squeeze like we're having now, it's the older people that tend to feel it a, a bit harder. You know, like you, I was speaking to a few, you know, maybe have a friendly face, lots of people come up and talk to the races, but uh, no, uh, old, older people. Uh, and, you know, there was more than a few saying that, you know, even at Chester and yesterday at Newbury, like, geez, you know, I love going racing, but I'd, I'd go three days a week if I could. But, you know, I, I can't. Was Chester notably noticeably light? Now, okay. look, I, I haven't been a regular Chester over the years, but certainly compared to when I was last there three years ago, geez, it did seem quiet now. It was rammed in 2019. And the other day, even when the sun was blazing on the Thursday, like you, you could move around. It wasn't, it wasn't hectic. And I know that the, the official figures back that up. Um, mm. So look, what do you do? The race courses are in a tricky spot. You know, they, they, all their whole financial budgets, etc., are set up on it, be, on it costing what it costs to get in the gate. You know, can they afford to slash their prices to, to get more people in? Well, to make okay, it more well, okay, okay, that's interesting, Kevin. Just that's interesting because my, my next thing was, okay, during the pandemic, during the lockdown, okay, race courses continued to operate with no crowds, okay? So they had a skeleton staff on and they got their race course money, whatever, their betting money, and, and that was fine to sustain them. And we were allowed to continue as an industry as well. But why all of a sudden, because now crowds are back, do prices have to stay as high? I, I don't accept that they, maybe they just need to adjust their, their budgets here, adjust their costings here of what it actually um, takes to scale a race meeting in to get crowds through the door. I don't accept that they can't review that, cut costs accordingly, and still put on a decent show and charge less for the experience. Yeah, it's, it's tricky, Hugh, because like not, not only... I don't know the full facts of it now, but I, I believe only like a relatively small number of tracks kind of had insurance for, for the pandemic. Um, and the, the, during that period, it, like they, they, would have, they would have been in financial strife and now they're back going. They need money in the pot. Um, so look, this isn't my area, but I'd say it's not, it's, it's not that simple, unfortunately, for a lot of tracks. Um, and it, it's a real catch 22 now because they, they need to get people in, but people have less money. You know, the tracks probably need to keep charging what they charge, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's really, I shouldn't laugh because it's very serious, but um, it, it's a very, very tricky spot. It's just, just one thing. I mean, they could help us, but drink prices are being, I, I was at the Sandown end of season race. I just went and bought a bottle of champagne, just bog standard. I mean, like literally in supermarket, 25 quid got charged 75 quid and he could have gone up to 140 and whatever. I mean, the markup's massive. If they want to make an immediate change, do something like that. But then again, they might just think, oh, if he's, if he's, if he's willing to buy a bottle of champagne, it's just, it's just doing for 75 instead of 55. So yeah. So they that, that, and my last point is on that. Like, I agree with what uh, Tony was saying prior to that in terms of like, there's a big, there's going to be a big economical squeeze going on and racing is going to suffer because pe a people's leisure pound isn't there anymore. But my point is if people by nature uh, may still well want to go racing as a treat day out and, you know, are happy to accept 
the entry fee and you know what it costs to go and they might save up for it and that be their jolly day out in a month or a year or whatever it might be but like tying in what kevin's saying you then have to look after them when they're through the gate and not shaft them for a 75 quid bottle of champagne and like respect that they've come racing and give them a suitable experience for what you're expecting them to pay to come through the gates I just think that race courses often, as long as they sell the tickets, it's just like, oh, once they're through the gates, forget about them. Like they're right. through the gates, yeah. so who cares? Yeah. But I care because eventually they're not going to keep coming back in the future. Okay. All right, guys, we can't um, solve all the problems today, unfortunately, but I mean, it was worth a, a discussion on it. And um, a couple of more issues as well. We have more questions to get through. Um, has anyone got a strong view on uh, what uh, Jack Mitchell did on a uh, rogue bear? Obviously finished second, but he stopped using the... Uh, the stick or the whip or whatever you want to call it these days um, to get up and try and beat Ball and Joan at York. So, TC, you want to come in on this yeah, one? I mean, here? It's, it's not it's not definitive, but if you go back and have a look, I mean, clearly there's a conscious decision, uh, conscious decision to put the whip down about 100 yards out. He only got, I mean, the horse did remarkably well because he was like tugging and whatever, but clearly he put the stick down 100 yards to go. He only got beat in a neck. And I'm just wondering whether, I'm, I'm surprised nobody picked up on it. And it, maybe we've got a sneak preview into what will happen when this whip review eventually comes to pass and becomes public? Because we've been waiting on that for about best part of a year now. I think it was due last September. I thought it was due back in April and we're still into May now. So I'd be interested to see what comes of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, if if we are going to get to the situation where he did the right thing and got beaten a neck, um, like I said, it's it's probably a quite a bleak look into the future if, if that's the way things are going to go. But be, okay. like I said, it was um, it was quite it was quite stark. I mean, a lot of people uh, were there saying, "What is he doing?" So if he rode to the rules, that's fine. Yeah. But I don't know what the I don't know what the owner and trainer would have said if if, if that was the reason for him going very easy in the in the closing stages. Okay, okay. And Kevin, um, I popped up a, a, a very small subsection in the Irish Times on Saturday morning when I went down for the paper uh, to our waiting WhatsApp group about um, Patrick Hayes and his 15-month suspension of licence for um, for animals being neglected, essentially. And again, some of the details around this were pretty horrific to read, but it seemed to just go almost unnoticed. There was very little reaction to this. And again, compared to other high-profile cases where people go absolutely bananas and lose their mind, and this almost seemed to slip under the radar, is it because Patrick Hayes isn't that well-known? Is it because the case in question didn't merit a lot of discussion? I can't figure it out. Um, but, it, you know, literally, uh, like a, a five- or six-word sentence at the end of a... And um, a page in an Irish Times sports section here seemed to me to be very understated. Yeah, I'm not fully on top of this now, Hugh. I only read the bare details, but like there will always, um, I suppose, unfairly, unfortunately, there'll always be an element of people will play the man rather than the ball um, yeah. in, in these Seems cases. To be the case and, here. and profile certainly makes a big, big difference. And the, the higher profile one is, um, the more magnified. The, the the discretion will become mm. you know um and and yeah look the, from what i read of this look it was it, it was it was a worrying case wasn't it and um a, a sad case and look, the, the the ihrb have, have come down uh, i suppose you'd have to say very hard um when you look at some of the punishments that have been dished out in the more in some of the more higher profile cases in the last couple of years you know 15 months is is way up the ladder you know i know that in this day and age people always want life bans etc but in the in the scale of, of punishments for trainers um 15 months is a very severe one 
Um, and yeah, like you say, it didn't get didn't get picked um, up much. Yeah, he's the um, brother. He's the brother of Chris. He's a jockey. Chris seems like a, a nice fellow as well. I'm sure it's very embarrassing for everyone all around, you know, and it's and quite upsetting for everyone all around. So something like this happens. But I, I just thought it was again, as you said, playing the ball, not the man here, and maybe that's why it went so much under the radar, which just annoys me as well because. Surely everyone should get equal coverage with regards to if everyone claims to be as concerned about animal welfare as they as they claim to be in high profile cases, then surely it should apply to the lower profile cases as well. And that really gets my uh, back up. But anyway, look, uh, move on, lads. We have some other questions to get through. Um, if we're going to stick within the air, Dave Bradshaw says, uh, by settled and traveled really well. Seems uh, and seemingly goes, Frankel wasn't really such a simple ride route to the Judmont. Uh, any chance Baye goes to the Ark? Well, I think we covered that day. We all hope, and we all say, if we owned Baye, that we would definitely uh, push him out there and see if he gets the mile and a half. And hopefully he does go to the Ark. I might have a small nibble of 20 well, steps. Uh, honestly, that really would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? It'd be yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah. well, uh, yeah. I suppose it'll all depend on what happens in the Judmont. You know, yeah. if he if he relaxes and goes and wins the Judmont. And it's not just 10 furlongs to the Judmont. No, it's an extended 10. If he, if, if all was to go smooth there, you know, they would have a very interesting question to, to answer on it, you know. Who, who do you think is making the calls? I mean, obviously, Angus Gold, you've got Shake Hisser, is it? Who, who do you Shake think is making the calls there? Um, yeah, I'd say it's a, decisions are probably by... A committee to an extent at this stage, I'd say, you know, involving, you know, Sheikha Hissa and Willem Haggis and Angus Gold, etc. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and they, they they sit down, knock heads and see what they come up with. But yeah. look, and I suppose uh, just just maybe pour a small bit of cold water on it. I suppose you have to say that, you know, like this, this would be an extremely important horse to the Shadwell operation. It's not as it was, you know, when Sheikh Hamdan was involved, you know, they've, they've downsized significantly. Um, one would imagine there's a whole team of accountants there that have a, that, that you know, that, that, that are probably a much bigger factor now than they once were. The thing will need to wash his face as best as can. And, and, and this horse is extremely valuable as a stallion prospect. And sometimes when you get that, there, there maybe is less scope for real adventure in campaigning. Okay. I hope Hopefully I'm wrong. Not. I look, maybe Hopefully I am wrong. Not. The fact that they brought this horse back as a four-year-old was adventurous enough as it was. You know, he he yeah. if 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 he was retired at the end of his three-year-old year, no one would really have sniffed. But he's back. Okay. Um, they're already talking about going up to the extended ten of the Judmont. So uh, yeah, don't mind my Hopefully. cold water, lads. But keep dreaming. Hopefully, hopefully. Ben Flaherty, Stout is back. Did he ever go away? Dream of dreams. Uh, great group one last season and top table for a few years. Crystal Ocean, Poets World, etc. Yeah. Um, as you say, he has never gone away, but uh, it's great to see him back into the limelight as well after um, Desert last weekend. Mike Moore says, does the current flat racing schedule make for a better spectacle compared to the National Hunt version due to the latter being too Cheltenham-centric and the flat being more spread out with festivals like Royal Ascot, the Ebor, the Dante, Irish Championship? Absolutely, Mike. I am the biggest National Hunt fan in the world. I do prefer to the flat season in terms of a spectacle races, but the flat season is so much more exciting for every reason you just mentioned uh, because of that. And There's no doubt about that, is there? No doubt about it. You get all these questions. jumps fanboys, you know, oh, six months to the real racing start. <laughs> Snads, come yeah. on. Yeah, no, it's there's like no question. Flat, flat no racing question. start to finish. It yeah, is a better racing product. Roller versus the dodging and everything that we've talked about in the last six months. Which I'm fed up talking about again. No question. No question. Can't wait to and see I'm lovely a- novice herder both eight to one on and the novice chase. Yeah. It's going to be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Brad Maxey yeah. says, "What track for the flat and also for National Hunt do the panel think is the toughest test of a horse in the UK and Ireland?" Um, I don't know. Cheltenham for the National Hunt because of the hill. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. No, um, not. Well, I, I, it's, it's a cliche, but sure, surely actually. <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> the big turn at the end. <laughs> but, 
Uh, no, no, surely I, for me, Epsom for the flat, like you just can't believe that the best race of the year, best race of the year yeah. uh, is run round yeah. there when you actually walk the track. It still blows my mind. And this, you yeah. see the camera shots. I still think it's mad. But Yeah, uh, and lads, do that. Do that. If you've never done it, go out yeah. of your way. It doesn't have to be a race day. I, I, the first time I ever walked Epsom, it wasn't a race day at all. I just wandered in and walked it. Walk that derby track, lads. It is is so surreal like you, you, you we all read all oh, you know the, the x meter rise from the start you know the downhill swing the, the camber actually go and walk it it, it will yeah. genuinely blow your mind it's I've, got a I've got a different take on epsom come out of there pissed about half six and try and get a <laughs> that is the, that is the worst experience in life <laughs> Calvary hanging tough. down the camber <laughs> Stay until midnight, TC. Stay until midnight. <laughs> midnight. Um, right, Corner Grandel says, should experienced trainers not be able to tell the difference between a four-year-old and a 12-year-old horse? Um, yeah, this is in relation to Martinstown, JP horses, two of them mixed up. Uh, they probably showed Cormac. Um, don't quite know what happened there, but yes, they probably absolutely, most definitely should. Um, Danny M says, Kiprios, why no arc entry given Ballydoyle only have one older horse entered Brook? I know he's going to the staying route, but even so, the same owner has searched for a song entered uh, who he spanked in his reappearance. Um, I don't know. I, mean, I thought that was a good question. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't have an arc entry, does he not? I thought, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, okay. I don't know. I'm not sure why, but uh, maybe they might supplement him. I don't know. Because he wants a we'll mile further, lads. Yeah, that's probably why. <laughs> He's not quick enough for a mile and a half. There you go. David Brown says, is the sign of... Oh, yeah, we've, we've, that's the one we've, um, we dealt with on the low um, attendances there. Um, okay, um, folks, that's uh, this is a one-off occasion, by the way, recording on Sunday morning just because of... Uh, events because I've got to go schedule. judge my local pony show. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. But um, it's a one-off. Um, but um, hopefully uh, you all enjoyed it. Tony Calvin's up anyway since three thirty a.m. So it doesn't matter what time in the morning, day or night that we record that. And um, thanks for all your list of questions as well. And we are back with racing only better on Thursday ahead of next weekend. My thanks to Kevin, to Tony, and to Vanessa. Everyone have a great week. Talk to you soon.